This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girlbomb. Girlbomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girlbomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self-care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girlbomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about plums. Indeed, we are. Plums. Despite having a plum tree in my backyard growing up, I really don't have much experience with plums. Really? No. How did you not? I mean, they all, it's a fruit that ripens like the whole tree at once. I know. <sighs> you must have had like hundreds of plums on hand. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, meh, meh. <laughs> And don't write in, because people write in to me all the time about not having tried things. I have had them. I just haven't had a lot of them, especially as an adult. Anyway, uh, I, <laughs> despite that, I when I was trying to pick a, a name to publish stuff under, a pen name in middle and high school, because no way was I going to use my real name, uh-huh. I wanted to use Plum Pickens. That's a, That's... That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone would have been like, oh, Annie. No one would have been fooled by that. And that is not to be confused with my fan fiction name of August Wynn, which came about from an encounter with the police. I have a lot of really bad fake names. Aliases, though? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, Doing the research (laughs) on this one, it's been interesting because I find there was not a lot of documentation about plums throughout history. But there were about, like, plum dumplings, um, sugar plums. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I just want to throw in Professor Plum. Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff about there. It's not related to this. Yeah. There's there's lots of pop culture to Plum. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Don't apologize. <laughs> Had to happen. Uh, a quote to start out this episode comes to us from a joke that California farmers allegedly used to tell each other about the difficulty of growing plums. A peach is like your mother. It's always there for you. A nectarine is like your girlfriend. It's something really dear and special. A plum is like a harlot down the street. It'll screw you every time. (laughs) Oh, snap. I know. (laughs) What a joke. (laughs) I, I bet they got a good guffaw about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've never tried to grow one, but sure, yeah. Uh, so, plums. What are they? Okay. <laughs> there are a lot of species and types of plums that differ in appearance and taste, but basically it is a fruit that would, like, fit in the palm of your hand. Um, It has a single encased seed in its center called a stone or a pit and a groove down one side of the fruit that looks a little bit like a butt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh Um, Their thin skin will be smooth and uh, bright to deep colored green, yellow, red, or purple. And the flesh can be anywhere from pale yellow to scarlet. They can be crisp or soft when they're ripe, juicy or dry, and sweet or tart or a little bit of both, and tend to have a sort of like floral, honey, citrus, spice type of flavor to them. Hmm. They uh, grow a natural coating of wax, sometimes called a bloom, and it looks like this this thin white film, um, and it's like a homegrown freshness seal. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, when buying plums, look for that bloom. Um, it means that they're fresh and haven't been handled too much. All right. They grow on uh, large shrubs slash smallish trees, like 10 to 20 feet tall, and the blossoms are really pretty. They're, they're small and grow in these little clusters, uh, white or pink petals with these long sprays of yellow or white stamens in the center. And there are a lot of varieties of uh, ornamental plum trees. And all of these are in the genus Prunus. Uh, the two main species are P. domestica, or European plums, and P. salicina, or Japanese plums. A few varieties of Japanese plums are what you're likely to find fresh at your grocer in the United States, and a few varieties of European plums are what you're likely to eat dried as prunes. But you can use plums in all kinds of different ways. Uh, fresh, baked, uh, jammed and or jellied, dried, fermented into wine or brandy, pickled and or salted. There's maybe some 20 to 40 species of plums, and some of those have up to like 300 different cultivars. There's somewhere over 2,000 varieties of plums, ornamental and fruiting in total. Um, And I think that they're native to every continent except Antarctica. So, Well, Uh, like (laughs) if if you had no idea in, in our Goblin Market episode what green gauges, bullaces, or damsons were, they're all varieties of plums. <laughs> I did have no idea what those were. I remember we looked them up. At least one of them. I think we, yeah, we green, gauges. green gauges. We were like, sure. what the heck is that? That can't be food. <laughs> it is, and it's a plum. It's it a is. green plum. But I have a question. Yes. What about the pluot? These are a hybrid of plums and apricots, which are also in the prunus genus. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
If you crack open a plum pit, the seed inside, I just totally nerded out about this during the research, the seed inside looks like an almond because almonds are also in the prunus genus. Mm -hmm. They bear fruit that looks like plums, but it's kind of leathery in texture. You, you pit them and then break open the pit to get almonds. That is, I did not know that either. I know. <laughs> Mind completely blown. Like, mind blown for the second time. I think I mentioned this in the Maraschino episode, too. Yeah. But I'm just like... It's having rippling, like, it is. aftershocks <laughs> of mind-blowedness. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, Nutrition-wise, um, even though plums are mostly sugars, they're still pretty good for you with a smattering of vitamins, mostly C, K, and A, and uh, minerals like potassium and copper, plus a, plus a heap of fiber. What it about a... Uh... This laxative effect I hear about, is that fact or fiction? <laughs> it is a fact. Um, well, maybe not laxative in, in usual amounts of plums that you would consume, but certainly anti-constipatory, you know, prevents constipation. Um, mostly because of their fiber content, but also because they are high in a compound called sorbitol, which uh, draws water into the large intestine and thus stimulates bowel movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, plums also have a, a bunch of antioxidant compounds, phenolic compounds, tannins, all this stuff that researchers think have good effects in our bodies. You know, anti-cancer, pro-cardiovascular health, pro-bone health, uh, antibacterial action in our urinary tract and guts, and uh, pro-gut health in general because of the whole anti-constipatory thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Note here that fresh plums do contain like enough of these things that it's a good thing to incorporate into your diet. Um, but if you're looking for these medical effects, you know, first you'd want to switch to dried plums, um, prunes, in which all that stuff is more concentrated. Second, you'd want to wait for more research to be done because there's like no scientific promises as to any of this stuff as of yet. Um, and third, you know, you should always consult doctor before you start taking medicinal doses of anything. Yes. Always, always, always. Yes, please. And thank you. Mm -hmm. But let's look at some plum numbers. <laughs> Here meaning the actual fruit and not good necessarily, <laughs> not bad necessarily, <laughs> just fruit specific. Mm -hmm. The world's largest producers of plums are Serbia, China, the U.S., and then Romania. Once again, the largest U.S. producer is California. Apparently... Plum brandy is really popular in Eastern Europe. I, I'm like, you sweet summer child. Like, that's <laughs> like, of course it is. I had no idea. But when I was doing the research, it was coming up before plums. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. History of plum brandy. And I was like, wait a minute. Um, I read that the average Albanian family consumes 250 liters of raki, a.k.a. plum liquor, Every year. Huh. A bottle of hornica, which is another type of plum liquor, is a popular wedding gift in Romania and a celebratory drink as well. Couples gather and present their godparents sacks of grain, corn, flour, and plum brandy in something called the gathering of the godchildren. Huh. The couple purchases two shot glasses of the plum brandy, one for each of them, that they present in a, I presume, a very ceremonial fashion. For funerals, there is a similar but rightfully different tradition. Two shots of plum liquor are consumed, one for the living self and one for the deceased. A traditional Passover drink is the grain-free slivovica made of fermented ground-up bits of plum stones. In Hawaii, you might find plum crack seed introduced by Chinese immigrants over a century ago. And plum sauce! 
so good with duck, which oh. is why it's sometimes called duck sauce by Westerners. Sure. Um, it's a thick brownish sauce that is both savory and sweet, a little tangy. And prunes. We've got to talk about prunes. Yeah. In recent years, prune producers have started marketing prunes, which are dried plums, as dried plums <laughs> due to the perception that prunes are for older folks with constipation. Uh. They apparently also tried to start marketing prune juice uh-huh. as dried plum juice. But mm-hmm. the FDA was like, that doesn't make any dang sense, y'all. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> a little confusing. Yeah. Maybe plum juice? I know it's – I don't know. That's for the, the – what is it called that we're going to talk about later? California Board of Prune Dried Plums now to figure out. <laughs> exactly. Not me. Not me and you. Nope. <laughs> uh, there's plum pudding. Uh-huh. Which is a traditional Christmassy food. Uh, some, British, yeah. Yeah, sometimes called Christmas pudding, described in the writings of Washington Irving and Charles Dickens. It's better when made weeks ahead and can store for months. And a lot of recipes I found didn't have plum in it at all, speaking of confusing things. <laughs> the traditional serving method is with a sprig of holly on top. And back in its heyday, which was the Victorian era, it was baked with a silver coin inside. Uh, yeah, weeks ahead or... The recipe I found in, like, Epicurious was for a whole year ahead, preferably. Um, And if you've never had one, it's sort of like a fruitcake. It's made with uh, dried fruit and uh, breadcrumbs instead of raw flour, and it's steamed. Huh. Yeah. It's not like a a pudding the way that you think of pudding here in America, pudding meaning dessert in British English. That's right. Yeah. What a tradition. A year ahead, you know for sure. I'm going to want... This plum pudding. <laughs> a year later. I'm going to be thankful that I did it. Yeah. Really interesting. <laughs> I've never had one, but now I want to. <laughs> I am a person who plans out meals way in advance. <laughs> so this seems like a perfect fit for Ooh, me. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll give it a shot. <laughs> in his novel, The Perfect Fruit, Chip Brantley wrote that most Americans see the plum as, quote, a little more adult. A little more gourmet than peaches or nectarines. Oh. I would agree. Uh, I, in my case, I would agree. I can't speak for most Americans. <laughs> but for me. But plums have been around for um, quite a while. Oh, my goodness, yes. And we will get into that right after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit, I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. I'm going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. This is another one that is fun when it comes to the dates. Mm-hmm. Meaning not very fun at all. <laughs> nope, not for podcast researchers anyway. Nope, sort of messy. Nope. Plums were possibly one of the first domesticated fruits. Of the stone fruits, they are the most diverse, and domestication took place on three continents early. The indigenous date plum was the first fruit cultivated in ancient Egypt, and archaeologists have found evidence of plums in Europe dating back to the Neolithic times. Oh, yeah. In 320-ish BCE, Alexander the Great introduced the plum into the Mediterranean basin, or at the very least both happened around the same time, so it seems likely. Of the three most popular cultivars, none are found in the wild, so that suggests that humans majorly cultivated them. Yeah. Okay, so the first common European plum, which sounds like an insult that I would very much enjoy you receiving. Common European plum. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing more annoying than someone being pleased with your insult. <laughs> um, it probably is at least 2,000 years old, originating somewhere in the Caspian Sea, Caucasus area. Ancient records indicate a different plum, one that's not around anymore, was cultivated in the Damascus area. Confusingly, the Japanese plum was first domesticated in China, also thousands of years ago. And the name is because the Japanese really went all in on cultivating it. Oh, yeah. It was an important food crop in the country by 300 BCE. 
Then we have nothing else until Tolstoy's 1875 story, The Plumstone. <laughs> no <What>? kidding. <laughs> but history does skimp on the details when it comes to the plum. Um, Lauren was talking about this. We were talking about it together. But she, her theory is that it's so ubiquitous. It's just so, yeah, just omnipresent. So everyone was just like, we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to write about this thing. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's boring. Yeah. Um, some things say that perhaps European plums were domesticated in 200 BCE Rome. Other things suggest that the Duke of Anjou brought plums back with him when he was returning to Jerusalem after the Fifth Crusade around 1200 CE. And plum poems. Yes. Yes. Meanwhile, plum poems first started appearing in China from 11th to 3rd century BCE. One poem focuses hardcore on men picking up the good plums before they are gone, which was later interpreted to mean dudes get a lady before they get old and gross. (laughs) One poem from this era describes the most perfect plum tree turning into a woman, quote, fairy lady white. And another later poem describes a concubine of the emperors becoming the plum witch. Ah. And thanks again to Confucius for writing, and in this case, praising plums. Quote, the branches of the aspen plum, to and fro they sway. How can I not think of her, but home is far away. Well, thanks, Confucius. Mm-hmm. Legend says a well-known philosopher Lao Tzu was born under a plum tree, which is fortuitous since the plum is seen as a food of good fortune in Chinese culture. Legend of Three Kingdoms, which is a famous novel in China, features um, a scene where one of the characters brags about how he once was able to lead a bunch of enemies away with the promise of a tree full of plums. <laughs> uh, later, around the 5th century CE, noblewomen in the Chinese court started wearing plum blossoms uh, as, as like personal decorations. And then the artistic significance of the plum blossom would really ramp up in the Tang Dynasty around like 700 CE or thereabouts, and then really explode in the Song Dynasty around 1000 CE. It became one of the four nobles. Um, This is one of the four flowers that represented like a keystone in the culture at the time. Plum blossoms in the dead of winter. And so it represents like grace and endurance and hope in the face of hardship. And there are a lot of paintings and poems concerning plum blossoms from the time. Um, Though it was believed that the plum blossom was so noble that only noblemen could or or should paint it. Noble woman wouldn't understand. Nope. She wouldn't be able to capture its beauty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Pliny, the elder believed that apricots were a type of plum. And that's where the kind of misleading Prunus Armeniaca name comes from. Um, he also thought it was from Armenia. <laughs> uh, and this is like sort of just a, just a difference in classification because, uh, yeah, they're, I mean, apricots are are in the same right. genus. They are closely related. Um, ancient Romans wrote about 300 different types of plums. So I can understand the confusion if you just sort of lump more stuff in there. I can as well. Mm -hmm. I can as well. In 1725, we get the famous nursery rhyme. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, What a good boy am I! (laughs) Which was later politicized in a Chumbawamba song. I don't remember that, but... Oh, look it up. Cool. Look it up. (laughs) The French were big on the plum. (laughs) 
of both the dried and fresh variety. French immigrants carried plums with them to Quebec, and records describe flourishing plum orchards by 1771. They came over to the rest of North America around the same time. Japanese plums have been available in the U.S. since at least the late 19th century. Native Americans had their own variety, but it isn't what we eat these days. Uh, yeah, Prunus Amer- Americana, I think, is the the species of that. And it's um, really popular for, for um, jams and jellies um, mm-hmm. where it grows and also um, around hunting communities because deers like it too. Deers? Deers like it. Deers like it. Yeah. In 1823, a little poem you may be familiar with, A Visit from St. Nicholas better known as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And if you're not sure why this bears mentioning, take this line. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Well, I've got some bad news for you folks, and it's going to (laughs) ruin Christmas for you forever. Turns out sugar plums are not, as you may guess, sugared plums. Oh, no. No, these were pieces of spices or scraps or maybe seeds coated with sugar. No plums. Not at this point anyway. So why would you call them that? To mislead people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are a couple reasons why. It could be because the verb plum uh, with a B at the end, like plumbing, was a verb meaning to immerse, first used in the 14th century. Or it could be because a 1780 instance of plum indicates it was used to mean desirable, which could be where the saying plum good comes from. The sugar plum fairies of Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker are another example of sugar plums in pop culture um, and, and holiday pop culture specifically. Sugar plums did eventually come to mean a confection of nuts and dried fruit, as described in Visions of Sugar Plums Cookbook by Mimi Sheraton, published in 1968. And these OG sugar plums before that, they were a major pain to make. You had to use a process called panning, where layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer layer of sugar (laughs) was poured over whatever roundish vessel you were using all the way up to 30 layers. And then you had to wait for each layer to harden. One batch took days before the Industrial Revolution came along. So, yeah, it was a rich person treat. When the Industrial Revolution did come along and made sugar plums much more available, the word shifted to include pretty much any bite-sized, roundish, sugary candy. Ah. Another etymology note, in the 1608 Oxford English Dictionary, sugar plum was defined as something very pleasing or agreeable, especially when given as a sop or bribe. So like mouthful of sugar plums or mouthful of sweet, sweet lies, I like to say. By the 18th century, a well-off person might be described as a plum. Was it Professor Plum? Mm. Probably just because he wore purple. Maybe. But uh, now the word is labeled as obsolete. Tough times for the sugar plum. Yeah. A French immigrant to California and vineyardist Louis Pellier started doing experiments with dried plum cultivation, eventually arriving at the California dried plum around 1850 because he came over during the the gold rush. Uh Um, And they really took off in the 1880s after California growers got wind of the 22,000 tons of dried plums being imported from Europe. By 1887, with the help of newly established railroads, 46,000 tons of dried plums were being distributed across the United States. By 1900, though, 
California had way overdone it on the <laughs> dried plum. The market was oversaturated, and the labor costs were too high for many growers. And one grower had the bright idea of bringing in 500 monkeys. Monkeys. And then he, yes, monkeys. And then he'd split them into crews of 50, right? Okay. Um, and he would set them off to go pick the plums. Did that work? They were good at it. Ah. But they were also really good at just eating them. <laughs> So, didn't really work out in the end. (laughs) Another problem was poor quality knockoffs that dogged the dried plum industry. World War II actually helped save the American dried plum industry as it was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, periods of dried fruit purchasing in history. Oh, sure. From the slump in the America prune dried plum market, we got a couple of things. Prune juice entered the market in 1932. The California Prune Board, which is now the dried California Dried Plum Board, was created to increase awareness and demand. And the name change from prune to dried plum occurred in the 1990s because, and this is from the, the website, quote, 90% of consumers told us that they'd be more likely to enjoy the fruit if it were called a dried plum instead of a prune. Humans were so funny. <laughs> uh, if you've ever wondered about prune juice, by the way, because uh, I, I had this question. Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you juice a prune? I don't know, but we both got our hands on our hips <laughs> and are very skeptical about it. <laughs> Pr- prune juice is just a, a prunes that have been, like, like rehydrated and then sort of pulped um, and then have, like, re-rehydrated a little bit more. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Huh. It's just, just, like, liquefied, rehydrated dried plums that's weird yeah huh okay it's you know it's 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 more concentrated nutritional benefits hypothetically than fresh plums or fresh plum juice would be yeah because they really went all in on that marketing for the health of it oh yeah 90s absolutely intensely Mm mm-hmm Plums and prunes are really big in France kind of like I mentioned earlier but still yeah yeah some prunes are viewed as on the same level as foie gras Wow. Yeah. I need to get a hold of some of these prunes, apparently. You need to get some some change in your pocket first. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what your pocket situation is, but I'm just saying they're expensive. <laughs> From Gregor von Rosori's 1917 memoir, The Snows of Yesteryear, quote, The revolutionary spirit of 1917 had degenerated into bloody madness. Gangs of plunderers drifting about had already targeted the ration warehouses of the departed Austrian army as their first objective. Besmirched with lard and plum jam, totally inebriated with their bellies full, the howling gangs of rabble staggered past our house. They were more or less held in check during the day but became menacing at night. Wow. Yeah, plums were kind of... Tied up with this, I suppose, food of uh, luxury, excess around Mm -hmm. that time, especially in Eastern Europe. Sure. Which is really interesting. Another really interesting thing is um, as photography, yes, we're talking about photography, improved towards the middle of the century, like 1950s. Photographers in the UK advised saying prunes instead of cheese when they would take a picture. Uh, for the tightening of the lips ah. because they wanted you to maintain, have a, a an expression that you could hold for a little bit. Oh, right, because the exposure times were a little bit longer back then. Right, and uh, it wasn't a fun 
or easy <laughs> experience at the time. So once it once it became a quicker thing, that's when we moved towards cheese. Which is yeah, we you just smile naturally at the end. I do. When Utsi, the five thousand plus year old mummy, was found in nineteen ninety one, he had uh, slows in his belly. What are slows? I, I didn't know either. They are a wild plum whose sap was once used as an ink called prunelier, and when soaked in gin, makes slow gin. Oh, man. That's what? what that is. Yes. One of the great mysteries of life. Holy heck. I thought it just took a long time, and it was like an old-timey spelling of slow, and I never questioned it enough to do any further research. But now I know. There you go. Mm-hmm. Plum Brandy made another literary appearance in The Land of Green Plums in 1994. In it, the father character warns his daughter she'll, quote, swallow her death, talking about the dangers of eating plums of the unripe green variety, which the daughter, quote, wishes death on her father and eats and thinks, this will kill me. The father also, quote, drinks snops made from the darkest plums and his songs for the Führer are heavy and drunken. Later, the narrator observes the police stealing and eating the poisonous green plums from trees, which is sort of a metaphor for the short-sightedness of a system poisoning itself. Ah, I have not heard of this book, but I, I apparently need to go check it out. There's so many plum references in books, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Um, we could do a whole, like... Foodstuff book club on just <laughs> books that mention plums. And poetry and, yeah. oh, yeah, lots of lovely stuff. Yeah. But that's our our, <laughs> our take on plums and a little bit of uh, prunes. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a little bit more for you. We do. But first, we've got another quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. 
Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And it's time for... Listener Mail. (laughs) doing my own sound effects now. (laughs) Katharina wrote... I was just listening to your cruise food episode, and it transported me back to my time at sea. I work as a geophysicist at a research institute, and as part of my amazing job, I get to go on cruises on research vessels. We normally go out for six to eight weeks without any port call, sometimes even for up to three months, which means, of course, that at some point during the cruise, all fresh food has been eaten, and the kitchen team, depending on the ship between two and four, has to rely on mainly canned and frozen goods. Overall, they do an amazing job cooking three main meals a day for the up to 100 people on board. Since I was mostly sailing on German ships, the food is very down-to-earth German, with lots of potatoes and meat, but they are also sometimes experimenting with newer flavors, mainly in the vegetarian options, which the older ship's crew is not very fond of. (laughs) There are five meal times during the day, starting with breakfast at 7.30, morning coffee at 10, lunch at 11.30, afternoon cake and coffee, 3 p.m., and finally, after dinner at 6.30 p.m. You always have to try to be as early as possible because the kitchen and steward staff is eating after everyone else, and you don't want to keep them waiting. I was really amused by the idea that you can basically eat all the time is a very important (laughs) thing on a vacation cruise. On our cruises, the availability of food is not only structuring your day, but you can also tell which day of the week it is by remembering some crucial points. Ah. Saturday is stew day, mostly pea stew or lentil stew, and there's junk food like fries or kebabs for dinner. Sunday, there is Sunday roast and ice cream for lunch. Wednesday has a special breakfast, like rice pudding, which makes it my favorite day. And on Thursday, we have more ice cream for dessert after lunch. Friday is, of course, fish day. Since we work 24-7 in a shift system and there is normally not a good internet connection or other connection to the outside world, you lose track of time quite easily. To figure out which day of the week it actually is, we are not referring to our phones for a calendar after a while. We just ask questions like, 
did we have ice cream yesterday? <laughs> if so, it could be either Monday or Friday. Therefore, the follow-up question is, well, did we have fish for lunch? <laughs> the system is very effective and gives you a sense of time on otherwise sometimes really repetitive watch system. Those rules are set in stone across all the German research vessels. So just imagine our confusion when we got served ice cream on a Wednesday because the chocolate pudding that was prepared fell victim to the heavy seas <laughs> and needed to be mopped out of the kitchen floor. On the same cruise, we ate our way through a three-month supply of Nutella within the first three weeks, <laughs> which earned my research group the nickname Dirappen, the Caterpillars. This resulted in me having to suffer through night shifts without the chocolatey deliciousness of Nutella Brockton to keep me awake. Aww. Even worse, due to the lack of Nutella, peanut butter became scarce as well, which made me take an emergency peanut butter jar on my next trip. <laughs> oh, I understand the emergency peanut butter jar. Absolutely. I love that telling the day of week by <laughs> what you ate. Yeah. That's, that's, really, that's really great. That is. That's beautiful. It seems Nutella is not safe on any kind of voyage. Nope. Keep that in mind, folks. Not safe in general, I think. This is true. Yeah. Megan wrote, I just finished the episode on the food and drinks in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy novels, and I thought I would write in to share the appropriately silly story of how I got my copy of the books. My best friend and I met at a library when we were three, and as such a meeting might suggest, we were total bookworms. She's actually a librarian at that library now. Oh, that's so cool. Um, her parents were really into British humor, so they read Hitchhiker's Guide to her when she was younger, and she recommended it to me one summer in middle school. I think I read the five books in the trilogy in about two weeks, completing a whole cycle of the library's summer reading program. Fast forward to my friend's 18th birthday. She got a really lovely copy of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, leather-bound, gilt-edged pages, ribbon, and even a giant fold-out map of Middle-earth. And I was very jealous. Her parents then said they'd get me a book like it for my birthday a month later. I was expecting something of similar seriousness as the Lord of the Rings because you don't buy such a fancy version of just any book. And then I got a leather-bound, gilt-edged copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy making it simultaneously the fanciest and silliest book I own. It's great. This same friend and I also tried to make a child's version of the Pangalactic Cargle Blaster for a class project in the sixth grade, but since most of the ingredients are fictional alcohols whose real-life equivalent we'd never tried, we gave up and made a Jovian Sunspot from Babylon 5. Can you tell we were nerds? If I remember correctly, it was Sprite, Rainbow Sherbert, and Grenadine. That's so fun. <laughs> I love it. All of it. That's great. Indeed. Oh, man. that's That also sounds like a gorgeous book. It does. Uh, it does. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. Thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Uh-huh. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw and over on Instagram at foodstuff. Uh we have some changes coming up for you in the next month or so, so don't be afraid. They are of the plum good variety. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and watch those social media feeds for a little bit more information sometime soon oh, We'll work it out. Um, thanks, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Hey, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.